Welcome to the Employment Law and HR Podcast with your host, Allison Colley. Hello and welcome to this episode 167 of the Employment Law and HR Podcast. I'm your host, Alison Colley. I'm an employment solicitor and I run the firm Real Employment Law Advice, where we provide advice and assistance to both employers and employees on all things employment law and HR. And I'm the host of this podcast, which I've been bringing to you mostly fortnightly um, since August 2014. And thanks very much for tuning in if you're a regular listener. And of course, if you're new to the podcast, welcome. What I aim to do with this podcast is to provide an update on employment law and HR, but also on issues that are relevant to the time or new issues for HR professionals and managers. And that's what I'm hoping to do today. I'm interviewing an ADHD coach who specifically deals with adults who have ADHD. His name's Tony Coward and we were introduced by a mutual client actually whom I was helping to navigate through some issues at work that had arisen as a result of her adult ADHD and trying to implement reasonable adjustments with the employer. And with the help of Tony, I'm pleased to say that that's been successful and and is moving forward well. But it got me to thinking, actually, this is an area that people aren't really aware of as much. And actually something that I think employers and, and HR professionals should be aware of. And it should be on your radar in relation to your employees. So I hope you find great value again in this interview. All of Tony's details are at the end and you can have a look on his website to learn more. But what we do touch upon in the interview is about adult ADHD, the diagnosis and what you can do as an employer. And Tony does mention in the interview about ADHD falling under the Equality Act. And I just wanted to add in there that, of course, ADHD or someone with ADHD could fall under the definition of a disabled person for the purposes of the Equality Act if their condition is an impairment which has an impact on their day-to-day activity. So not all diagnosis of ADHD could fall under the legal definition of disability, but it's certainly something, regardless of whether the person has a disability or not, for the purposes of the law, that you should be aware of and be looking to make adjustments in the workplace just as a good employer. So I just wanted to mention that before I get into the interview. Hopefully you find it helpful and of course if you have any questions, do not hesitate to get in touch with me. My email address is alison at realemploymentadvice.co.uk. So without further ado, I'm going to get into this week's featured content. So I'm really pleased to be joined today on the podcast by Tony Coward. Nice to meet you, Tony, and thanks for joining us. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Tony, and what your experience is with adult ADHD? Uh, Yes. Thank you for for having me. My experience with adult ADHD is I am an adult with ADHD, and I trained as an ADHD coach. I coach adults with ADHD. I also provide webinars, education, and support to adults with ADHD, and I run a support group on the Isle of Wight. Okay. And what's the name of your organisation? It's nomad.coach. 
That's great. And you said that you are an adult with ADHD. And um, how long have you had, I suppose, do you call it a diagnosis or what do you call it, I suppose? I was diagnosed at the age of 48. I'm now 52. So I was diagnosed quite late in life. And yes, it's an assessment and a diagnosis. And in your experience, is this something that's on the increase and more people recognising that adults can have ADHD? Yes. In purely clinical terms, it wasn't recognised that adults could have ADHD until I think the year 2000. It was viewed from a clinical perspective as being a childhood disorder. And at the age of kind of 18, you were told you haven't got ADHD anymore because you're now 18. And then a lot of progress has been made in recent years in terms of science and research. And adult ADHD is recognised and obviously more people are coming to the conclusion that ADHD is a possible explanation for some of the impairments or struggles that they've had in life. Particularly, quite often, particularly with women actually, tends to show up after they've had children and they, their child may get diagnosed with ADHD or it may be on the radar of the school, it, it may become a, a subject that's being talked about. And that's the point where the parents kind of go, well, hang on a minute, there's a lot in there that has similarities with me. I wonder if. So it's come onto the radar. So more people are considering whether it's a possibility for them. And it's also, historically, there's been a certain amount of prejudice and stigma around ADHD. And that is culture and society has moved forward now, particularly with things like the Me Too movement. And there are people who are quite happy to sort of stand up and say, I've got ADHD. It's not a big issue. So people are happier now, I think, to come forward and consider the possibility that they may or may not have ADHD and to to look at finding out more about it and to follow a pathway towards getting an assessment. Okay, that's really interesting because I first heard about adult ADHD a couple of years back from someone I follow, sort of a business person or entrepreneur, I suppose you could call them. And then subsequently, several other people, again, who I follow in the sort of business world, sort of high performing people have now received a diagnosis and have been assessed. And um, and so that's how it first came onto my radar. Was the first experience you had of adult ADHD when you were uh, diagnosed and assessed? Yes, yes, it was. My assessment came about through a complete and total accident. Nobody had ever sort of said to me during my life, Tony, you might have ADHD. Uh, so my son was diagnosed at the age of about seven or eight, and I didn't twig. And we, <laughs> in the days before we had Netflix, uh, there was a one. Well, it was an evening in, on the television. The television was a bit like that evening. There was a program about Rory Bremner and how he discovered that he had ADHD. And my wife and I watched it because there was nothing else on the TV. And it you know, it may have information in it that was pertinent to our son. And at the end of it, I looked at my wife, and my wife looked at me, and my wife said, that sounds a lot like you. And I said to her, oh, you know, I was thinking the same thing. And that's kind of when the penny dropped for me. Yeah, and so where did you go then to sort of get, get help with that and, and to sort of really establish that that was the case? Well, first stop for most things in terms of research is Google. So I went to Google Mm -hmm. and I Googled it. And Google found me a few, I wonder if I've got ADHD assessment forms, tests. So I did them to see if I was barking up the right tree. And 
it confirmed that I might be. So then I started looking into the assessment process itself. And from there, the next uh, stage of the operation is to go to the GP. And I took with me the sort of evidence that I'd compiled. So I printed off these assessment tests and I went to see the GP and I said, you know, my son has ADHD. Uh, I think there's a possibility I've got ADHD. And, you know, my research so far has sort of confirmed that this is a possibility. Could you refer me for an assessment, please? She did. And could you get that here on the island? Was there somebody you could see here or did you have to go further afield? No, the, at the time that I was assessed, the, there was a much shorter waiting list for assessments. So I think I was referred in October and I had an assessment interview in the following February. So it didn't take very long. However, the, as I suggested earlier, there are more people, more adults coming forward looking for an assessment. And I think the same is true for the paediatric side of ADHD as well. The clinical side of ADHD is something of a backwater as far as the NHS is concerned. So it is the demand for services is outstripping the supply in real time. So the, the waiting lists are quite long at the moment. So be, I think at the moment, through the NHS route, you'd be waiting 18 months to two years, yeah. which in comparison to other areas of the country is actually not bad. It's interesting, isn't it? Like you say, I, I quite like that description, a bit of a backwater. And so what led you to starting coaching for, for people with ADHD? As an adult, getting diagnosed was, was quite profound for me because it was the sort of missing piece of the jigsaw from a lot of different aspects of my life. I looked at different, different areas where I'd maybe struggled or things that I'd found difficult or events that had happened that had had unexpected outcomes. And I started to kind of slot this new piece of the jigsaw into that puzzle to see whether it fitted. And it, in a lot of cases, it did. And I started to gain a greater understanding of myself and my own strengths and impairments. And I wanted to, I wanted to connect with other people like me. I want, you know, I was hoping that there would be a group of people who might meet in the back room of a pub somewhere that I could listen into and, and get some insight in so that I could help to understand myself. And there wasn't one. So I went looking for other people like me and I found a couple and we started a, a support group <laughs> simply by saying, we're going to meet and have a cup of coffee and we'll just invite everybody else to turn up and they can come if they want, which worked, by the way. So that led on to connecting with other people with ADHD and understanding more about them and my, you know, the similarities and the differences that I had with them. And that eventually led me to go, do you know what? I want to go and be an ADHD coach. I want to learn more about this. I want to go and help other ADHD adults. Okay. And so is there a course you can go on or is there something or is it really, you know, sort of self-taught from your own experience? How, how have you kind of got to the point of coaching others? The, every ADHD brain is unique. Everybody's ADHD shows up in different ways. There are sort of, there are commonalities, there are clusters of, of things, but to go and learn to be an ADHD coach, I studied with the ADHD Coach Academy in New York. Uh, through teleclasses and they are arguably the internationally recognized gold standard in ADHD coaching. It's not something that you can really go and learn to do yourself. I, I wanted to make sure that I was uh, that I was 
training to a professionally recognised standard. So I went down that route. And does the sort of training they provide you on that course, does that work for both children and adults or is it sort of specific to adults? That particular training that I did is specifically specific to adults. There are other training courses that provide. One is sort of an advanced ADHD coach training course, which I'm considering doing sort of 18 months or two years from now. And they also do another specialised course in family coaching because the dynamics in family coaching are different than a pure kind of one-to-one adult coaching experience. It's different because there are other people involved and there are other dynamics involved. And also because when you're coaching children, there's not, although the child might be in inverted commas, the client, buy-in from the client is actually very small. You're actually really, you're supporting the parents in supporting the child. So you sort of you're kind of doing it by proxy. So it becomes it becomes less about one person and more about a whole group of people. Yeah. So that's a specialised area in itself. And um, aside from sort of the coaching element, am I right in thinking that is there medication in the same way for adults as there is for children? I know that some children are medicated in, in relation to ADHD. Is that the case with adults as well? Yes, yes. There's a range of medications that are available for adults. In about 70% of patients, it is an effective way of helping to manage ADHD symptoms and impairments. However, there are, with all of the medications, there are side effects or potential side effects uh, from really basic stuff like dry mouth, loss of appetite, through to if you open up the poster-sized warning sheet inside the drugs, it goes all the way through to sort of heart attacks, sudden convulsions and death. So they covered every base of the side effects, but there are, some of the side effects can be quite serious. And um, we obviously were introduced through a, a mutual client who you were coaching in relation to employment. Um, and is that something that you're finding you're being engaged to do more often now to help people who, to be effective in their day-to-day lives at work and that sort of thing? Yes, I. one of the really nice things about the work that I do is that I really like making connections with people and often those connections lead on to other connections. I know that our mutual client uh, and that you know that has kind of brought us together. The onward connection, the kind of snowball effect, the ripple effect, the because you did this, there is this opportunity, this there's can you come and do this and oh I've seen you do that. Can you come and do it for us? I like that. And so really from an looking at it now from an employment perspective, if you're an employer and you're you're sort of looking at recognizing some of the the sort of symptoms, if you like, of ADHD, and I appreciate that everybody's different, but are there some things that you can look out for or what are there any typical um sort of symptoms or, or traits that come with adult ADHD? The short answer to that is no. Everybody who has ADHD is entirely invisible. We're all hiding in plain sight, which is one of the reasons why getting a support group up and running was quite difficult. There aren't common things. There aren't sort of symptoms to be aware of and look out for in people. And particularly women are very good at masking ADHD symptoms from other people. Over time, adults develop ways, coping strategies, ways to overcome they often do this without realizing what they're doing they have particular ways of doing things that help them to overcome adhd challenges so in actual fact it's very hard to 
try and I, and I think it's something probably that employers should should steer away from is trying to identify members of staff that may have ADHD. I think that's that's maybe quite a dangerous thing to be doing. But what if an employee then presents and says, I have a diagnosis or or I think I have adult ADHD? You know, what are the kind of steps that an employer should be taking or should consider in those circumstances? Okay. The employee is unlikely to be discussing the possibility with an employer. They're more likely to have gone through the process themselves privately and have brought not the diagnosis, but the, the results to an employer for a specific reason, either because they want to engage this, the employer in, in support at work. And we can talk some more about that. Yeah. No, and so, so what are the sort of support mechanisms then if somebody does say, I've got, you know, I've got a diagnosis and you're an employer or um, you work in HR and you're suddenly like, actually, what do I do? Um, most people would probably turn to Google. But what are the kind of things that we should be thinking about? The, 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 I think the most important thing is it's not something to be worried about or frightened about or I don't know what to do this to do about this. This doesn't fit. It's, it's something to positively engage around. I think positive engagement is the key in helping to sort of build support. I, I was thinking perhaps around some reasonable adjustments because if ADHD has an impact on somebody's day-to-day life or they're taking medication to sort of sort of suppress some of those side effects, if you like, and it's a long-term condition, then it may very well fall under the definition of disability. So employers would have an obligation to make reasonable adjustments. What are the kind of things you would suggest, or is it just really a case of talking to the individual to ascertain what they need? Okay, well, there's a number of points that you raised there. Under the 2012 Disability Act, ADHD is is listed there as a recognised disability. However, having said that, very few of the ADHD people that I've met would consider themselves to be disabled. ADHD can be disabling. It's situationally variable, so the impairments can be disabling. Talking to the individual is the is the main thing. Engage them in a positive conversation. Understand what ADHD is. You don't need to know a huge amount about the neuroscience. You just need to understand the basics. You also need to understand that the name attention deficit hyperactivity disorder is entirely misleading. And you cannot look at that name and assume that you know all about it because that's not the case. A positive engagement with staff is absolutely crucial. A lot of the structures that can be put in place are actually really, really simple. If you think back to the kind of, I would say, the dot-com boom, Silicon Valley companies like Google were very quick to recognise the strengths that the neurodiverse community could bring to the drive in sort of the internet. One of the main difficulties with ADHD is developing the the accountability and the structure that works for the the individual member of staff. And so it's about having a positive engagement to develop the structures and accountability that works for them. ADHD really is about interest. Most of the support measures are really simple stuff. Noise cancelling headphones, standing desks, dictation software, that kind of thing. There's a government scheme called the Access to Work Scheme that will pay for support measures for disability in the workplace and that can apply to ADHD as well so that's something that either the employer or the employee can apply for 
And it will also pay for ADHD coaching, which helps adults to develop the structures and the support tools they need to manage their ADHD. And it helps them to understand how their ADHD shows up and what the impairments are for them. There were a couple of things there you mentioned. I just want to go back on if that's okay. You talked about noise cancelling headphones, standing desks and voice recognition software. So are they sort of typical things that would help people in in an office environment? Yes. One of the things that ADHD people struggle with in an office environment is the constant, constant distractions that are going on, constant noise, telephones ringing, emails pinging, people wandering about. It's that constant distraction because the ADHD brain is essentially, it's not a deficit of attention. The ADHD brain is trying to pay attention to absolutely everything all the time and process all of that. So, just a simple support mechanism for some ADHD people is noise cancelling headphones. Get rid of all the distraction and, and they'll be able to focus and concentrate much better on the, the work that they're actually doing. Standing desks are very helpful for those people who are kinesthetic. You know, they need to move. Some people process information partly through physical movement. So standing desks and the ability to undertake tasks standing up rather than sitting down actually helps them to focus much better and be more productive. Dictation software, some ADHDers, myself included, can quite easily get sucked into problems with constant editing of stuff and resorting everything out before it gets done, gets sent, it's an email sent or a report written, and actually dictating the raw the raw material, the raw content, if you like, is actually much easier in terms of getting stuff done quickly. Does that answer your question? Yeah, that does. That's really helpful. Thank you. In terms of sort of other physical features of, of a work environment, are there other things that typically come up that you, you in your experience? One of the biggest barriers for people with ADHD, I think, is the potential prejudice and the stigma that goes with that, it creates a barrier to seeking support. It, it creates a barrier to engaging in positive conversation about the support that they need in order to be more effective at work. That's a two-way street. It's, you know, I would suggest that the member of staff wants to engage so they can be more productive at work and that the employer surely would want to engage in a positive way in order to ensure that that employee is as productive as they can be and the key to that really I think is understanding exactly what ADHD is and engaging with that member of staff and understanding how that shows up for them the challenges that it presents for them in the workplace and how both the member of staff and the employer can work together to help the member of staff to overcome those challenges and be as productive and as happy an employee as they can be. And so one of those ways, I guess, of reducing some of the stigma and making it easier to talk about would be educating your managers and HR around a condition like adult ADHD, I guess, um, and including it within your equality and diversity policy and procedures. Is that something that you help, you can help employers with, you know, sort of educating people around condition? Yes, I can. I'm going to pick you up on the sort of policy part of things because Mm. in my experience and I have the disclaimer that I am but one person 
my experience is that policies are things that get written and then just gather dust somewhere and, and don't actually translate into a change in the mindset, the approach, the perspective that staff within companies have. Yeah, no, absolutely. I know I'm with you. And uh, one of the things we do here is constantly encouraging our business customers to ensure that they are revisiting and sharing and talking about their policies and informing staff and using them as a working document to embed the sort of ethos within the in the business but absolutely I accept there are lots of organizations who have lovely policies that profess to do all kinds of things but keep them hidden away in a dusty drawer or on a hard drive somewhere that no one sees so what are the ways in which if you're a business or a HR person listening to this podcast what are some of the ways in which you can start to educate your colleagues and yourself about adult ADHD I'm going to come back to the question you asked a couple of minutes ago about educate you know education in the workplace mm. yes I, I you know that is something that I can deliver there are other people that can deliver this that can impart that kind of knowledge it's not a big thing it doesn't need to be a big deal it doesn't need to be an all-day workshop it can be an hour it's it's really basic stuff this is what ADHD actually is here I am, I've got ADHD, this is how it shows up for me, these are the things that I struggle with, these are the things that you can do to help me. I think for a lot of people who arrive at that kind of training who don't know much about ADHD, it's a real eye-opener that they actually understand what it is and it's actually not that big a deal and in actual fact helping people to overcome their ADHD challenges in the workplace is not actually a very difficult thing to deal with at all. So I think there is a kind of a, a it's the fear of ignorance, and ignorance is an absolutely crackingly good defence right up to the point where you realise you're ignorant about something. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Yes, it does. Thank you. If it doesn't, ask again. <laughs> no, that's fine. Thank you. You've certainly provided some valuable insights into adult ADHD and hopefully educated some of our listeners around the topic which isn't too commonly talked about at the moment. If anybody wants to get in touch with you, is there a way they can reach you or they can work with you? They can reach me at my website, www.nomad.coach. And uh, I'm also on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn. That's fantastic. And I understand that you've got some resources that you're happy to share um, and some some links and things, which we will include in the show notes um, and I'll pop on, on our website as well. But it's been great to talk to you and thank you very much for your time. Absolute pleasure. I'm, I'm grateful for the invitation. So as I said at the start of the show, hopefully you found great value in learning a bit more about adult ADHD and perhaps it will help you in future in dealing with colleagues or staff who have adult ADHD or who you think might be on the sort of radar, if you like, for adult ADHD. Once again, if you have any questions, you can get in touch with me. My email is alison at realemploymentadvice.co.uk. You'll also find more details and Tony's contact details on our website, which is realemploymentadvice.co.uk forward slash podcast. And I just have one final favour to ask of you, my wonderful podcast listeners, before you go. 
is I'd be really grateful if you could go over to our YouTube channel, which is um, Real Employment or Advice, and subscribe to the channel there. I'm putting lots more videos out and we're going to be doing a series, a whole series of videos in the coming months, which I think you'll find helpful and useful and we'll cover off some topics that we're not covering here. So I'd be really grateful if you could subscribe and then obviously you'll get notifications about new videos. And of course, if you have any questions or if you've got any content you want covered either in the podcast or in the videos, then you can get in touch with me either by email or what lots of people are doing now is connecting with me on LinkedIn. So do feel free to connect and send through any questions there. I hope that you have a really positive and productive week and I look forward to speaking to you again in two weeks time. Thanks again for listening. Just want to finalise by saying I wouldn't be a lawyer unless I had a legal disclaimer. So I must just say to you, that the information in this podcast is for information only. It's general review and a general update. It's always necessary to get specific legal advice about your circumstances. So please don't rely on anything that you've heard in this podcast, but please do feel free to contact me if you'd like further information or specific advice.